Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. I've been traveling over the weekend, so it is good to be back in the, well, studio, for lack of a better term, in, in the office uh, that I have here. And uh, man, there's a lot to talk about, but um, I'll give updates on the trip, I think, later in the week or maybe early next week. I want to get to some Southern Baptist stuff, and I'll get right to the point. Um, the lot's happened in the convention over the course of two days, and I, I think some significant things were either exposed or um, or took place that, that I want to make some predictions based off of if possible. Uh, and, um, I want to uh, draw some conclusions about, so, um, we'll probably do one more podcast concerning Southern Baptist related issues. I have Jeff Wright, who's a friend, uh, he wants to come on the podcast. And so he's going to be scheduled soon. Um, I'll actually, uh, it's a reminder myself to get back to him later today to schedule that, but he wants to make, I think the argument for conservatives to stay in the convention. And I have no problem uh, having someone on this platform to make that point. I've obviously been making the point for the last couple of years that, uh, I think, um, it, it's, it's not looking good. And, uh, th there's some silver linings in this last convention, but I, I still maintain that things are overall going in, a not great direction. And in some ways, politically, this may be, and I might be the only one saying this, but in some ways, politically, this may be one of the worst years for conservatives in a way, in one way. And so I'm going to explain in what way I think that is, um, while also acknowledging there are some really good things. I was actually surprised to see the, uh, I think it was 88% of the messengers voted to kick Saddleback out of the convention. I mean, that's I said, I think in the last podcast, if it was 80%, that's a landslide. And that's a clear signal that the convention doesn't want the sort of thing Rick Warren is marketing. And so um, I, I believe that's what happened. I, I did think Warren was going to be kicked out. I, I was leaning that direction, but I didn't realize it was going to be quite that high. And um, it's interesting. And, and I want to get into it uh, and, and figure out maybe what might have contributed to that high number because because why why is that number so high and yet at the same time mike stone the conservative pick for president uh loses and not just loses in a close election but loses pretty big uh it was like 31 percent or something uh that he got so um let's let's talk about uh, let, let me frame this whole thing uh because i think there's two narratives coming from conservatives about this convention theological conservatives let's just look at those two options for what happened and then i will bring you some of the clips i have some clips lined up that we're going to talk about and uh some uh some other information so um let's start here uh let's talk about this is a post that i made yesterday 
on Facebook and, uh, and Gab and YouTube, but here's the Facebook version of it. And this is what I said, because I saw this developing yesterday. So there are two narratives conservative Southern Baptists will adopt concerning this year's convention. The first is that despite a few losses, they push the needle right because they managed to clarify that churches with women pastors are subject to disfellowshipping. Those who adopt this narrative will see a path forward through coalition building with social justice advocates. Mike Law, with nine marks, author, off, authored excuse me, the motion with help from Juan Sanchez, who is the, I believe, the chairman of the board for the Gospel Coalition. Of course, it took actual conservatives to support these measures, but it is debatable whether they were in the driver or passenger seat. And this is key in my mind. This is for, for the political minds who are looking at the convention and, and crunching numbers and thinking through what kind of influence conservatives actually had. This is the key point. For years, established conservatives in the SBC saw a path to victory on opposing women pastors when they failed on Me Too and critical race theory related issues. Part of this is because of the Southern Baptist Convention's history. Women pastors was a battle previously fought within the lifetime of many current members. Critical race theory and Me Too issues are more recent and appealing. Conservatives who relished uh, the success of today's legitimate victory, and there were legitimate victories yesterday. One is uh, the disfellowshipping of Saddleback. The other one, and that was announced yesterday, it was on Monday. Uh, but the other one, of course, uh, was the, um, or maybe that was Tuesday. I'm getting my days mixed up. That was Tuesday. Um, the other one, though, from yesterday was the passage of Mike Law's amendment. Mike Law's amendment uh, being the uh, clarifying that women pastors are not I mean, this shouldn't have really had to be clarified, but that uh, churches with women pastors are not in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. They're not in good standing. So conservatives who relish those successes are assured they will have a place at the table. And as long as this place exists, they will stay in the convention. And I think that's one group of conservatives. OK, uh, so they're going to stick around. They're going to stay in the convention because they, they think, look, we got these two things done. These are positive things. We really what it was more of a defensive action, I think, than anything. They fended off an effort from Rick Warren to immediately make the Southern Baptist Convention egalitarian. Uh, they, they fended that off. And so they think we have a seat at the table. We can be part of a coalition that's interested in conserving the Baptist faith and message. And so it's worth it to stay. Maybe we can capitalize on those gains. OK, so that's one narrative that's out there. Here's the other narrative. The second narrative will be that conservatives are largely irrelevant at this point. This group will point to the fact that they could not secure any offices within the denomination at, at the convention. I realize there's the chairman of the uh, executive committee for the Southern Baptist Convention is a CBN guy. But in this particular, in, in the elections that just took place, CBN wasn't able to expand. CBN being the conservative Baptist network wasn't able to actually get any denominational authority. And, and that means a lot. That's how the committees are determined. That, that's really what drives the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the second narrative uh, are conservatives who are going to point to this and they're going to say um, that they couldn't secure any offices. And without the control of uh, the denomination, the slide to the left will simply continue. They reject the coalition building model that allows social justice advocates or organizations to drive the agenda items conservatives are permitted to support. So, so this means when you have nine marks holding an event at the convention and they're in support of Mike Law and, and his amendment, Mike Law is a nine marks pastor, 
and uh, they are pushing hard for complementarianism, defend the Baptist faith and message, uh, reject Rick Warren. Uh, Nine Marks, of course, has has been known uh, in the last few years to be pushing the, uh, especially on racial matters, the more social justice direction. And we've talked about it many times on this podcast. Um, also, they, they were pushing for churches to be closed down uh, during the, um, uh, the the COVID issue. And so, you know, Nine Marks has been known to be more on the left in evangelicalism. Uh, in fact, Mark Dever himself is a registered Democrat. Uh, that was uncovered, I think, what, a year or two ago uh, by Judd Saul doing the documentary en- Enemies Within the Church. Uh, so, so anyway, I, without getting in, going down the the nine marks rabbit hole, uh, for those who listen to this podcast, you'll know these guys were considered on the left, but they held this event supporting the Mike Law uh, amendment here, and so, uh, so, so on this issue, there's a conservatism at least of some kind to to defend what the Baptist faith and message teaches. Um, and, and so the question is: Do conservatives, real true conservatives, do they want to partner with those guys? Um, and, and, and I think I, I, everyone would say if they're in the passenger seat, that's fine. If, if they want to come along and vote with us, that's great. But uh, the real question is, do we want to be in the car with them if we're not in the driver's seat, if they are the ones driving the agenda? And, and I will suggest to you in the eyes of, I think, the media, and I think the media is actually right on this one, uh, it, was, it was Mike Law and it was Al Mohler. Those were the two big names. Um, second to that, you would have, um, I, and this is just my opinion, you'd have Juan Sanchez, uh, who, who helped drive this, the chairman of the gospel, chairman of the um, executive committee for the gospel coalition. Um, and, um, and you had like Denny Burke and people, you had like these company men who have said more uh, progressive sounding things in years past and have let the denomination slide to the point it is now coming together, showing leadership uh, to defeat Rick Warren and to, to um, try to send a clear signal that women pastors uh, that, that should not be permitted in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, um, uh, so I close with this. I said, while they celebrate the fact that a coalition was able to fend off a direct challenge to SBC doctrine, they also realized that without institutional power and financial accountability, there is no way to reverse the current downgrade. Those in this group will likely leave the convention within the next year. Perhaps some will try to hold out hope for next year but they will not be satisfied in remaining part of a broader coalition that includes social justice advocates. So that's going to be uh, the debate within the conservative camp, really. Um, what's, what do we do at this point? Uh, I've, I've been seeing debates now in um, more private chats and stuff over the last uh, day of, about whether or not conservative Baptist network is even relevant anymore. Um, in fact, I, I had a conversation yesterday with um uh, Brad Jerkovich, who I believe is still, uh, I think, yeah, he's, he told me he's still the president of uh, Conservative Baptist Network, founder of, of the network, and, um, and and he's fairly optimistic. They had a thousand people show up at 6 a.m. for their uh, breakfast, and of course, the Mike Law Amendment passed, and uh, Rick Warren was was kicked out. So he's looking at these gains. Um, but I asked him how about accounting for the losses. How, how do we do that? How do you account for the, lo- the fact that Mike Stone lost, especially? Um, but also, you know, the fact that they weren't able to secure financial accountability. They couldn't even get uh, the, the room to vote on that. Um, and uh, also, you know, you had the immigration resolution, which passed. You had um, the uh, sexual abuse task force database, which passed. You had a study committee passed. Now, this this is interesting. I'll talk about this a little later. But you had a study committee passed that essentially could 
erase all the gains that just happened because the study committee is going to look at whether or not um, what, what should be done about churches as far as friendly cooperation is concerned. How should that be defined? What are the guidelines? So, you know, they could make recommendations. And if those recommendations are adopted, then you could you could be back in the same boat next year. Uh, and and so um, the I, I would say the left in the convention was easily able to um, make sure that their uh, that, that the egalitarian issue is not dead forever at all. It, it's going to continue. So so in spite of those things, you know, how do you how do you say that the conservatives did so well? Um, because if if the group there is so conservative that they're willing to reject work Warren, why weren't they not conservative enough to elect someone like Mike Stone? And and the answer seems to be well, a, a couple things. One, uh, New Orleans isn't very family friendly, and maybe we'll get more conservatives next time around. You could you know do with that what you will, but that's that's one of the explanations that's being offered, um, coupled with the fact that Bart Barber was an incumbent. And uh, and he didn't have any major shortfallings. Now, this is an interesting thing to me, too, because I think this spells death for the convention in a way. Bart Barber has not been a good I mean, I mean, he's gotten the convention in these lawsuits. Um, he has said very reckless things about people uh, accusing them of things like Johnny Hunt, of things that they uh, that they're contesting. And, you know, he's gotten the convention in some hot water because of that. He supported the sexual abuse task force stuff. I mean, he did a, a horrendous interview on CNN about the abuse issue. I don't know if you remember that with Anderson Cooper. Um, we've we followed a lot of the things that Bart Barber's done over the last year, and they're pretty bad. But I think that what's going on is people are comparing that to Ed Litton, his predecessor. Ed Litton, who was previous uh, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, was a plagiarizer. And that wasn't able to get him kicked out. That was not able to shame him enough uh, to get him replaced. It wasn't able to secure conservative victory, which is crazy to me. But Bart Barber is more stable than Ed Litton. Bart Barber's, uh, you know, not as bad as the previous guy. And so Bart Barber, I think, is seen as kind of more conservative, more clean cut. Um, and, you know, and, and that's the other explanation offered is that, you know, you just he, he's an incumbent. You can't get rid of him in, in a year like this. Um, so, so so anyway, th th these are the things that people are thinking through um, and uh, trying to account for. And, and I have a simple explanation for all of this, actually. In my mind, it's this simple. The platform controls. The platform controls. And, and when you have Bart Barber running the platform and the SBC elites, and, and this is a battle. This isn't so much a social justice battle as it is a battle between the Bible-believing uh, laymen and pastors of usually smaller churches versus institutional elites in the denomination. And as long as those elites control what you see at the convention and they control the microphones and they can, they, they can create whatever environment they want. And there was a determination from the platform uh, somehow to uh, get rid of Rick Warren. And maybe that's because they thought, you know, this, there's popular support for this. Maybe it's because Rick Warren, unfortunately, the way that he approached it was about the worst possible way for him that he could have. He was just very uh, arrogant and he basically slandered the Southern Baptist Convention. He slandered the people there it, or insulted them might be a better word. It, it's hard to win when you're insulting the room. Uh, you at least have to do what all the SBC elites tend to do, which is you compliment the room and then you insult the fringe. And the fringe could be the room, but as long as the people in the room don't think that they're the fringe, they will congratulate you because you're, you're saying something good about them in their minds and something bad about those evil people on the right wing fringe. 
And Rick Warren didn't do that. Rick Warren just insulted the whole audience. So, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that could have led to Rick Warren's downfall, and it wasn't all just because of the this issue, uh, I don't think. I think this issue um, was a certainly part of it, but I, I don't know. It, it's debatable. We don't know the answer. How many people voted on conscience? How many people voted because the platform told them to? And how many people voted because they felt insulted by Rick Warren? So, um, and, and of course, Val Moeller was the one on the other side arguing in favor of disfellowshipping Saddleback Church. And Al Moeller, I, I think, one of my predictions at the end of this is going to be, I think Al Moeller can run now for SBC president and probably win. I think he has secured himself a spot as the conservative. Now, think about this. If he's the conservative leader or one of the main conservative leaders, uh, and and you have people like Jonathan Lehman driving you know, support for uh, the fine-tuning of language on women pastors if those are the conservatives what does that mean if those are the leaders you know and, and that's the real question who are the identifiable conservative leaders who are actually successful in the convention who are able to bring about these changes if it's al moeller then you have to ask is he even really a conservative he might be on this issue but on the me too issue he has not been at all on the crt issue he has not been at all so and, and I think the difference between those things, if you really think about it, is um, the the valor really that we saw in the 80s was over issues related to the Bible, inerrancy, but also uh, this idea of having women pastors. That was one of the issues. And so you had men like Adrian Rogers, Paige Patterson, and, um, Charles, I almost said Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, um, courageously standing in the gap. And, the, and these were leaders with big churches who had a lot of clout, who uh, risked their reputations with the media to make these stands. And at that time, they made all these gains that were, were some of them codified in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Defending those gains is kind of required if you're going to be in the Southern Baptist Convention. I just need to explain this to anyone who's not in the SBC. This is part of the, the, the dynamic, the political dynamic. Those guys um, with the exception of maybe Paige Patterson, because they me tooed him. But those guys and what they accomplished is still a legend, at least with the, the Gen X folks. And I don't think with the millennials as much, but with the Gen X folks who are running the denomination, those guys are legends. And, and what happened is important. And they're going to conserve that because it, it was it took, it passed down to them when they were children. However, when you have new issues arise, like Black Lives Matter, like uh, the Me Too agenda, um, they have not been explicitly, at least directly, um, talked about by Southern Baptists before. They're, they're seen as new challenges. And on those new challenges, you see all the elites capitulate, cave, try to get photo ops with the media. And so what did you see in this last convention? On the issues that have been previously fought for and won, they were able to stand, hold their ground. On the issue, the new issues, the new real threats to the denomination that are actually changing the denomination, they kept capitulating. That's the distinction that I see going on um, in the convention. And I think that's a, an important thing to note. If the only thing that people can fight successfully are the battles of the past, those are important, but that's not enough. You have to be able to fight the new challenges and there's new challenges arising every day. Um, and of course, uh, you know, same-sex attraction and that kind of thing is also uh, in subtle ways affecting the Southern Baptist Convention. And there's not a real effort. In fact, I think someone offered an amendment or, or a resolution on this and it was rejected. There's no effort to really build a wall against that. And so um, so, so the real ever-present dangers we have are, are still there. And, and I mean, I would challenge people, what, what has the ERLC said or the Southern Baptist Convention given to churches concerning things like Drag Queen Story Hour? Nothing really. It's it, they're so concerned about this abuse issue 
that that's sucking all the attention and and the the ever-present dangers that are popular in the culture right now i mean this took place in june uh they're largely ignored um so so that's what's going on in the sbc now um i want to talk i want to play some clips for you and then we'll talk about some of these let's start here this is uh the vote i believe this is the vote to kick saddleback out of the convention saddleback there was 9,432 votes in favor, or yes, which represented 88.46%. There was 1,212 votes against, or no, which represented 11.36%. There was 19 disallowed ballots, representing dot 18%. So on the question of Saddleback Church, 9,437 votes in favor, 1,212 votes against, 19 disallowed ballots. The messengers from Saddleback Church are not added to the official role of voting members of this convention, and Saddleback Church is not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. All right, there you have it. That's the uh, the moment, uh, and that, and that's the conservative victory, I think, in the minds of the media, and that's what you're seeing in the media today is that. Um, here's another clip, though. I want to play um, this clip from. Uh, we'll. I'm debating which one to do next. We're going to do uh, this one. This is um, from the uh, what is this from the Sexual Abuse Task Force, and so overwhelmingly, and, and you'll see at the end how supportive the room was of keeping the sexual abuse task force doing what they're doing and and what are they doing well this is what they're doing last year we voted to have four categories the first is confession the second is a conviction in a court of law the third is a civil judgment rendered those may all seem simple but even those require vetting by our legal review team to make sure they're all correct and that's what the process we're in right now. The fourth category is determination by an independent third party according to a preponderance of evidence. And there have been considerable discussions about category four. And it's important to note that all four categories are credibly accused. But the fourth category is the one that has drawn the most interest and concern and the RTF has consulted with many advisors and legal experts, and we've worked to develop the website. And the first three categories will be populating the website as the legal review team affirms the names that go on there. But we have a commitment to implement the finding of the messengers last year, including category four. And we're committed to implementing Category 4 as it is developed. We will proceed to the vote. If you're in favor of the motion, would you indicate by lifting your ballot? Thank you. You may lower them. If you are opposed to the motion, you may indicate by lifting your ballot. Thank you. You may lower them. The ayes have it. Wow. The motion carries. Okay, so what's the takeaway from that? That was the whole room just about in support of what did you just hear? And I know for some of you, this is, it's more interesting to watch paint dry. I, I, I get it. Uh, 
he, basically what he's saying, uh, the, the chairman of the sexual abuse task force is that they are going to continue their work of building this database of sexual predators or uh, accused sexual predators who are reasonably accused, legitimately accused in their minds. Uh, these are credible accusations. But what is a credible accusation? Well, apparently they, they have a number of categories. Of course, if you're arrested, that's uh, th that would be a credible category. But there is another category, and that category is for reports that come to them. So if there are reports from people in churches that there is this uh, individual uh, who's a predator, that can land you in the um, in this database. And of course, uh, he, he goes on and tries to explain to everyone that they're going to have this stringent process of some kind, but that means that there's more money that has to be used to investigate these issues. Now you're doing something that law enforcement really should be doing. If there's an abuse problem, call the police, right? But they're, they're saying, well, you know, a lot of these things don't get reported. So what we need to do is have our own network where we investigate and uh, find these, find out what's going on. And then we can put these dangerous predators in our database so as to warn other churches about it. So this is going to take uh, resources from missions and other things. And it's going to make the executive committee forced to also police their entire denomination. And it's a large denomination built up of what were autonomous churches. If this keeps going forward, they're no longer really autonomous. Uh, you can be held responsible because you're going to be paying the legal fees and paying for the policing of churches that are not responsible in this regard. And, and that's exactly what's going on. This changes the entire shape of the denomination, and it is voted on un almost unanimously, if you look at the room. Almost unanimously, people are voting to, yes, let's do this, let's continue this. Uh, and it's just, it's the financial strain that will kill the convention. Even the, if the convention is 100% conservative, let's say, but they do this one thing, the convention can't last long term. Uh, because... It, you have the not just the reallocation of resources, but you have um, the the fact that the Southern Baptist Convention itself can be held accountable for decisions that take place at local churches, and that this is just opens the door for all these lawsuits. So, um, so you might not have heard a lot about that in the secular media, but that is continuing, um, and that's an important thing. Now, what's the importance of the platform? What, what's the importance of controlling the platform? I should say, well, you get to control, like I said, committees and uh, appoint uh, people to trustee boards. But one of the things that you actually get to do um, is control who's going to be speaking. And, and in this case, uh, there was um, Todd and I don't know if I don't have his name in front of me. I think it's, it's an, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, it's an Eastern European name. I think, let's see here. SBC. I know I've seen him before because I think he's high up in the North Carolina uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Unziker. That's how you pronounce it. Unziker. Okay. Or Unziker, I guess. Uh, Todd Unziker. So he's the one who gave the, um, the, the sermon this year. And I believe he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, president, or he was high up, uh, I believe he was president of the North Carolina Baptist Association, he might still be, and um, a Southeastern guy, and that, that's how I heard about him, because I went to Southeastern, but he he gives a sermon, and I did listen to this entire sermon, uh, it, it strikes me more as a coach talking to a football team than, but there's a lot of Southern Baptist pastors who sound like that, and you know, a lot of college ball in the South, so uh, I guess that's to be understood, uh, but it was very, um, 
like let's go get them like raw raw SBCs that we're the best we're the best the SBC is the best and you shouldn't uh, listen to anyone who's going to tell you there's problems in the SBC because the SBC is the best and that, that's basically a summary a summarization of uh, the message that he gave and he kind of shames the entire audience for meeting at a business meeting because the SBC annual convention is a business meeting and then he talks about how I'm not, I don't think I have this clip but he talks about how the mics went out and that means that's a sign from God that God is telling us we should pray instead of conduct business. Well, it's like, you know, maybe the SBC should be on their knees more. Maybe they should be evangelizing more. That's very true. But that, that should happen outside of a business meeting. <laughs> the business meeting is for business, is conducting business. That is its purpose. So to shame people who are coming to a business meeting for conducting business is ridiculous. Um, and, and so it sounds very pious, but, um, but anyway, here, here, let me just play for you a clip. This, these are some of the warnings that, uh, Todd had to, uh, give to the Southern Baptist convention in this convention who give nothing. Are we going to give weight to people in this convention who tweet more than they tithe, who post more than they pray? who raise objections to reforms instead of raising protections for the vulnerable. Here comes the guilt trip. Are we going to be a people who sue the saints, or are we going to be a people who sow seeds of the gospel? Are we going to be a people who are going to listen to the spirit of fear? By the way, the spirit of fear, what is our... God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, all-sufficient words say, the spirit of fear doesn't come from God. So if somebody is peddling fear, where do they come from? Are we going to continue to be shaped by divisive groups on social media? Tweets and blogs and videos and podcasts and cheaply made synodocs. They have the sole purpose That's of just stirring dissension founders ministry, and by trust the way. and discouragement. But God's end game is clear, and we get to join him on it, Baptist. For those who are curious, uh, who, what's that other voice that you're hearing in the background? That's Ray Fava. Ray Fava actually live-streamed the entire Southern Baptist Convention. And so uh, if you are interested in uh, checking out what uh, was said at the Southern Baptist Convention, that live stream is all on YouTube. And so you heard his comments a little in the background. Um, th this sermon was a mess. There, it, it was self-contradictory at many points. Um, it was just, it, it was, like I said, a, a move to try to shame the audience. And when you control the platform, you get to manipulate people in these ways. You, you, you get to shame any kind of opposition. I mean, who is he talking about? Podcasts? I mean, he's obviously talking about Founders Ministries with the Synodoc thing. But I mean, this podcast is included in that. This podcast is, is we're not, you're not supposed to listen to people like myself. How is a denomination that's heading towards a cliff? and maybe even sliding down the cliff, how are they to correct themselves if all the people who are critics, uh, who have legitimate concerns, uh, are not, or you're forbidden to listen to? And if you do, you must hate the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, just trust the leaders is really the message there. Just trust the leaders. The leaders have it under control. The leaders are going to lead you in the right way. And uh, we, we can just take that for granted. Um, that's the message every year, really, from the, the platform of the convention. So, um, so, so let me just summarize here, and, I, and I'll draw some uh, predictions here. The, uh, there were some gains. Rick Warren was kicked out. Uh, you had actually another church that was kicked out. There was uh, another church that was also disfellowshipped. Um, 
and, and that was an interesting case, actually. That was a case in, in which it was the first, I think, time that uh, they were applying the new language in the restrictions on uh, sexual abuse and so forth. Uh, and, and the credentials committee kicked out of church for that. And there was kind of a he said, she said from the floor of the convention. I don't have that clip, but it it, it, le- it leaves one to wonder, okay, what... Uh, <laughs> moving forward what if there's someone who has a supposed credible accusation then at what point do we how do we determine whether it's credible and then how do we determine whether or not that church should be kicked out of the convention it's opening this whole new pandora's box that hasn't been opened before it used to be clear-cut a theology now it's going to be more based upon uh and, and i guess actions to an extent but now it's going to be based upon these accusations so anyway, you had Warren kicked out. You had the law amendment passed that fine-tuned the language forbidding uh, female pastors. But then you had losses. You had the immigration resolution, which I talked about in the last podcast, which is uh, we're in the point where critical race theory language is now just codified. It's just institutionalized. We don't even fight about it. Conservatives don't even talk about it, really, because it's just the way things are at this point. You had the sexual abuse task force database. Uh, like I, I showed you that clip, you had the study committee um, that is going to examine friendly cooperation and what that means. And they could have the power to erase all the gains that were made by kicking Rick Warren out in the law amendment. Um, you have no financial accountability. They voted that one down. And you have the fact that the conservative Baptist network has really no institutional power, at least from this last annual meeting. The, Mike Stone lost, and so did their um, the guy who was running for, I guess, vice president. So, so those are the losses. So the conclusion is it's really a mixed bag. But the question is, can the SBC afford a mixed bag at this point uh, without a rousing, um, just in no uncertain terms, conservative victory? Can the SBC survive and not uh, and avoid the downgrade that it seems to continue? Now, my predictions uh, about this are Al Mohler will probably run again for convention president. I believe he will. Now, will it be next year? It might be. It might be the year after. But I think Al Mohler is feeling his oats now. He's worked himself back into a place where he is. he was very successful in arguing against Rick Warren, and he is now regaining support among conservatives. And conservatives have always been more willing to forgive. They, even if he was the one who brought us, many of the Me Too and CRT-related issues, conservatives are willing to overlook that for current battles. That's just how they are. Uh, the left tends to not be that way as much, but um, I, I think that there's a good chance Mueller ends up becoming more of a prominent figure uh, on the conservative wing. So now the new conservative wing, there's a recalibration now. It's not as it's not your grandfather's conservatism anymore. It's, it's, the, uh, it, it's the new conservative wing as things move farther left. Um, I think conservative Baptist network is now forced into a coalition strategy. And that's not how it started. If you remember, conservative Baptist network started as a kind of a populist reaction to what was going on in the Southern Baptist convention. Now they are just one group in, in a, in a number of groups, I would say, um, nine marks being another group that are interested in conserving some orthodoxy, but obviously CBN wants to go farther than that. And, uh, protect against current threats. And those other groups, if they're not going to join with CBN, then CBN's going to be in this coalition that doesn't share um, all of its values on things. Uh, the sexual abuse task force database will cause strife. Uh, I think within the next year, you're going to see a lot of strife over this as they start putting names in there, maybe in the next two years, but uh, as lawsuits happen, all of that. 
Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Those, those are my predictions. So um, I can't tell you if you're a Southern Baptist, whether or not you should remain in the convention or whether you should leave. That's a question for you and for your church and for your pastor and for wisdom. But I will say that you need to think seriously about this stuff if you're still in the convention and you need to seriously consider what the path forward is and whether or not you want to be an obstructionist. Um, one of the conversation that I had uh, yesterday with Brad Jerkovich was a really good one. And, and one of the things that he said, and I, and I agreed with him on this, is that CBN is kind of in the position of um, like the Freedom Caucus in a way. doesn't mean there's a direct parallel. And he said that it doesn't mean everything's parallel, but, th but there is a, a sense in which they're like the Freedom Caucus in the Republican Party. They're, they're part of this broader group that's against the Democrats, but they're the more conservative group in that. And I think that's right. Now, um, he may not agree with this, but but one of the things I see with Freedom Caucus is there is they are obstructionists. They can't get much done. They have power when it comes to getting concessions from McCarthy. Like when, when the Republican Party needs them, they have power. But they're, they are not able to set agenda items. And that's going to be CBN's problem, I think, too, moving forward. They're not going to be able to set the agenda items. Uh, they're going to be uh, looked upon as allies when there's political fights that people like Mueller and Dever want uh, allies in. But they're not going to be in the driver's seat, probably. That's that's my prediction, at least. They're they're going to be part of this coalition. Um, now, what could stop that? What could you know turn that around? I mean, you'd have to have some really aggressive, identifiable leadership uh, like you had with Adrian Rogers and the Paige Pattersons and the Charles Stanleys. You'd have to have that kind of thing enter the the debate. But we don't really have that right now. Um, and just think about it. You know, who are the identifiable leaders of that caliber, of that status, of that uh, notoriety? So um, so you have to determine if you're in the SBC, do you want to continue that, that fight? It, it is a kind of a guerrilla warfare action uh, what you signed up for is that do you want to come to the convention and and keep seeing this nonsense? Um, do you want to be part of an obstructionist group? Now, if that's if you think the Lord's going to do a miracle, He's going to turn this convention around. We can be part of it by uh, maintaining as much as we can and conserving as much as we can. But we're buying time. We're obstructing. I get it. Okay. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I wouldn't do that, but I get it. But if you say to yourself, we're in this for ministry and I don't see the ministry really being done and this just isn't worth it uh, anymore and um, I don't want to be an obstructionist. I want to win. And if we can't win, then uh, th then where is our money going in the convention? Then um, then you need to probably consider leaving the convention if you're still in it. So th that's my two cents on the matter. Uh, like I said, I will have uh, Jeff Wright, uh, Lord willing, later in the week to talk about why he thinks that there's a, a path forward and Southern Baptist should stay in the convention. And I'm more than happy to let people make that argument, but uh, that's the way I see it. And uh, I hope that was helpful to all of you. Well, uh, God bless. Uh, more coming later in the week. I hope everyone enjoys uh, their week. And um, let's see, what is today? Today is the 15th. It's a Thursday. I almost lost track with all the traveling I've been doing. So I should have another podcast out, Lord willing, uh, either tomorrow or Saturday. God bless. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.